0: Welcome to the C E M project, and today I'll be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that's trauma. And I'm going to take you through uh, some keynotes and some pearls regarding trauma shock. Uh, uh, hopefully, this episode is really helpful for the emergency medicine residents out there who, are, you know, taking care of trauma patients day in and day out. Uh, you know, uh, who really want to uh, work uh, in uh, the field of trauma probably done some atls or should i say basic trauma life support uh you know uh, so this is something that's close to my heart uh so here goes uh, so there are basically if you get a trauma patient uh, there can be four different types of shocks in them right yeah. the first being hemorrhagic shock and then obstructive shock cardiogenic shock and neurogenic shock right? And uh, I think the most common ones that we usually see are the hemorrhagic shocks. And this is where uh, the, resusc- uh, the the latest resuscitation protocols and guidelines come into play, right? So the patient might be bleeding in any of the major cavities, right? In the thorax, uh, in the abdomen, in the pelvis, probably from his femur, even the back of his head. So when you do a trauma code, you need to check out... Uh, Uh, If the patient is in hemorrhagic shock or not, uh, and you need to resuscitate the patient correctly and uh, not just blindly give fluids to the patient and, uh, you know, push him towards um, and uh, towards his ultimate death, you know, which spirals out of control. Uh, So, yeah, you you do your fast scans, you do your fast, probably some x-rays and you figure out if the patient's bleeding anywhere. Right, what do you want to do with a hemorrhagic shock? Is uh, do a damage control resuscitation, right? So you want to give your one gram of tranexamic acid, uh, and then follow it up with a one gram infusion over eight hours, right? Uh, and all the trials have shown uh, the CRASH one, two, three trials that it's really good uh, for hemorrhagic shock. And then you want to follow that up with uh, maintaining a lower blood pressure, uh, which is called permissive hypotension. Uh, right so you maintain a systolic bp of maybe 70 80 90 uh, uh mercury uh mmf mercury right uh, as long as the patient is mentating well you know that uh, th- there's no hypoxia because of uh, the shock uh, and there's no hypoxic brain injury that's happening right <clears throat> so uh, maintain a permissive hypertension you don't want to push the blood pressures too high because of any clots which are forming you'll just probably pl- uh, pop the clots uh so Avoid uh, raising the blood pressure too much, and then you want to give your blood products right. Uh, one is to one is to one of, uh, your packed red cells, FFPs, and uh, platelets, right? Uh, the patient is bleeding, you know. Uh, they they're losing blood. Remember, and the volume needs to be replaced by blood and not by water, uh. So you, you do these three and then you add calcium if you're giving blood products uh, because the patient would be in hypocalcemia and uh, the packed red cells that you give have a lot of citrate in them so that can cause further hypocalcemia. So uh, you can give empirically uh, 30 to 40 ml of uh, calcium gluconate after you've done with four units uh, of uh, blood products and you need to keep checking the calciums uh, of the patient. Uh, so, once you know what the source of the bleeding is, push the patient to the OR, you know, be an advocate for the trauma patient, get the surgeons to take the patient straight to the OR once you've done this. And this takes about 15 minutes to do, not no more than that, right? Your your hemorrhaging patients would be in something called the lethal diamond of uh, trauma, right? Uh, they would be acidotic. They would be in a hypocoagulable state, which is called the acute coagulopathy of trauma shock, Um uh, they would be hypocalcemic and they would be hypothermic, so even the blood products need to be warmed up, and this is a vicious cycle, right? One would lead to the other, and guess what? If you want to fasten up this cycle, and uh, do the worst for your patient, pump the patient with some fluids, one to two liters of crystalloids. No, you don't want to do that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding, right? So, do not give fluids to your bleeding trauma patient. Give blood products. So, uh, you know, that, that's how you need to manage your uh, hemorrhaging uh, trauma shock. Of course, get your lines, and if you think the patient requires uh, airway management, do that. All of the, all, everything has to be done concurrently. And moving on to the next one, which is obstructive shocks. Uh, in trauma, there'll be two types. Uh, one would be a cardiac tamponade, and one would be a tension pneumothorax. Uh, so when you do a fast kind, uh, you'll, you'll get to know if the patient has a tamponade or not. And uh, you'll want to relieve that uh, with the pericardiocentesis before you go on to intubate the patient uh, and, uh, again, uh, have uh, dire consequences for the patient, right? Uh, same goes with attention tension pneumothorax. You don't want to give uh, additional positive pressure or ventilation without relieving it. So you have uh, your, your clinical uh, parameters to diagnose attention tension pneumothorax, right? So you'll have absent breath sounds. You'll have hyper-resonant uh, percussion, You might have a mediastinal shift, so the trachea deviated, and the history uh, would be obvious. Uh, The saturations would be down. So, you know, you'd want to do a needle um, thoracostomy for the patient, followed up with uh, an intercostal drainage before you go on to intubate the patient or probably you won't even require to intubate the patient. So uh, that's how you're going to deal with obstructive shocks. The two two of them, again, uh, cardiac tamponade and tension pneumothorax. The next is, uh, is an interesting one. You can have uh, cardiogenic shocks in patients, uh, and uh, it's a little rare. But you know, if you have blunt trauma to the chest, they can have blunt cardiac injuries and myocardial contusions, uh, which can lead to cardiogenic shock. Right. So you need to rule out hemorrhagic and uh, and obstructive shocks, and then probably think about uh, your uh, uh, myocardial contusions leading to cardiogenic shock. Now, as per the American Association of uh, the surgery of trauma. Uh, they have a classification um, for blunt cardiac injuries, right? So the grade one injuries would have minor ECG abnormalities and uh, they might have some premature atrial or ventricular con- uh, contractions or persistent sinus tachy. Uh, there might also be penetrating pericardial uh, wounds without cardiac injury, tamponade, or cardiac herniation. Um, grade two would be, you know, um, blunt cardiac injuries with heart blocks or some ischemic changes with cardiac failure. Grade 3 would be uh, patients with sustained or multifocal ventricular contractions. You know, they, they would also have blunt or penetrating uh, cardiac injury with septal rupture, pulmonary or tricuspid incompetence, uh, You know, distal coronary artery occlusion and cardiac failure. They might have some pericardial lacerations with cardiac herniation, blunt cardiac injuries with cardiac failure. And then you have uh, your grade 4 injuries, you know, which are basically associated with aortic or mitral incompetence. And you'll have some uh, penetrating injuries of the right ventricle or the right or left atrium. Then you have grade 5 injuries, which are basically blunt or penetrating cardiac injuries with proximal coronary artery occlusion. And then you have grade 6 injuries, which would be a blunt avulsion of the heart, you know, or penetrating wound, uh, which produces more than 50% tissue loss of a chamber. Uh, and also, so th- these are interesting cases. I've had a couple of them that have come in and uh, we've published on the same... Um, uh, how do you diagnose myocardial contusions, right? So you'll have, obviously, you'll have ECG changes, uh, your cardiac enzymes would be uh, off the charts. Uh, you'll need to to do uh, echocardiography uh, and, and correlate uh, with the injuries of the patient, right? And most of these uh, usually have uh, conservative management, you have to wait and watch, especially in the blunt uh, myocardial contusions. If you have penetrating injuries, you, you need to get your cardiothoracic surgeons in and uh, fix up the injuries in the in, in the or right so that's cardiogenic shock and trauma for you and then of course you have the neurogenic shocks where you have uh, spinal cord injuries right and uh, uh for them so once you've once you've ruled out hemorrhagic shock and obstructive shocks cardiogenic shocks uh, you're left with neurogenic shock of course you need to know uh, what the injury was and uh, you know if the patient could have a spinal cord injury Right. Uh, so the MAP goals uh, for a neurogenic shock is usually 85 to 90 uh, mm of mercury. Uh, and the treatment for neurogenic shock would be judicious fluid resuscitation. Of course, you don't want to give too much. Also, if the patient is hemorrhaging, I would not suggest you to give fluids uh, even if the patient has a concomitant neurogenic shock. It's better to start uh, noradrenaline as a first-choice vasopressor for neurogenic shock. Also remember that... Uh, Spinal shock is not the same as neurogenic shock, you know, uh, uh, basically a period of uh, when, when the patient has flaccid paralysis, has, has some anesthesia, loss of bowel and bladder function and has A-reflexia uh, because of a spinal injury, that is called a spinal shock. Uh, the hemodynamics are not, uh, you know, altered in spinal shock patients, but obviously the patient will be shocked if they have neurogenic shock. Uh, so yeah, so this was the basic that I wanted to talk about, uh, the four types of trauma shocks: uh, hemorrhagic, obstructive, cardiogenic, and neurogenic. Uh, hope you've learned a little bit out there, and you know, hope this helps you uh, uh, treating your trauma patients. Uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's uh, not anything uh, close to what trauma is all about. Uh, trauma is really vast. Uh, a lot of things that happen in trauma. Um, it's actually a whole Pandora's box. So, but this is uh, just something that uh, that you should know, and uh, don't just follow the ATLS uh, blindly. You know, it's it's kind of relevant as a basic trauma life support, uh, but there are a lot of things that have come beyond ATLS, uh, which needs to be incorporated in your trauma care as emergency physicians, right? Uh, if you have any questions, you can always get in touch with me. Um, Hope I see. I hope hope you listen in to the DCM project and stay tuned for more episodes in two thousand twenty four.